When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And welcome to the Rugby Rant, everybody. I'm the big guy, Scott Ferraro. With me is Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And uh, it's that time again, Wednesday night. We have a, uh, a run, pass, or kick with the new year. We have a brand new run, pass, or kick episode. But before we get started, I want to talk to you all about our friends at therugbyshop.com. Besides having all the MLR merch you could ever want, they have helped us come out with the new line of murdered out Rugby Rant swag. We're talking hats. We're talking hoodies. We're talking the new Hammer tee. The Hammer has its own exclusive t-shirt. With happiness is a good ruck on the front and old school rake marks on the back. So you guys should go to the rugbyshop.com, find the Rugby Rant gear under clubs, and use the code RugbyRant20 to get 20% off all Rugby Rant merchandise through January. Again, you get 20% off all Rugby Rant merchandise through January at the rugbyshop.com when you use the code RugbyRant. So now I'm going to introduce our guest. Uh, we're very excited to have him. Um, I know Ron's excited. You know, uh, Rob has had a couple personal friends on the show um, recently, and he, he, he just, he's killing us with guests. Rob is, is, is really killing the guest game right now in booking. So um, I'm going to give you his CV um, real quick. He started the Kenya Rugby Union. He managed the Kenyan uh, national teams, both the 15s and the 7s. Um, former coach of the Chicago Blaze RFC, which obviously, as you guys know, Rob is affiliated with, and also coached the Chicago Sirens women's rugby team. I'd like to introduce Ronald Bacuzzi. Ronald, say hello to everybody. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. I look forward to our chat tonight. Awesome. So, you know, we have our run, pass, or kick, and I'm sure some of you guys are new and, and don't know how it goes down. So, Rob, why don't you tell them how run, pass, or kick works? Okay, for the uninitiated, run, pass, or kick works like this. It's a different new style of uh, asking interview questions than any other podcast out there because we allow some options. Like any good rugby player, you got to have options. We're going to give Ronald some options today. And the options are run, pass, or kick. So, Ronald, we're going to ask you a question, prompt it with run, pass, or kick, and you just tell us what you're going to do. If you're going to run with a question, that means you're going to answer it straight away. If you're going to pass a question, it means it's just a little hot one. You don't want to answer it, don't want to get in trouble with it, so you're going to go ahead and pass on it. Or you can have a little fun with us, put us on the back foot, put us on the defensive, and you're going to kick the question to us. If you don't identify who you're going to kick it to, we'll assume it's whoever asked you the question. But you can also play a little game and name the individual that you're going to kick it to. And we have to answer in a way that we think you would answer. And you can even grade us out. You can tell us we were horrible. You can tell us that's a pretty good answer. You can even expound upon it a little bit. So, Ronald, are you ready for the run, pass, or kick challenge? I'm ready to go. Awesome. And and it's good to have you on. We've shared a lot of laughs and had a great time over the years. So it's it's great to have you on the show. So I'm going to, I'm going to harken back to that a little bit with the first question. Um, and run, pass, or kick. Rumor has it that in your first season 
or one of your first seasons coaching in the United States, you have a rather challenging experience with a player during a match. Is it true that as a result of that, you ban players' wives from attending games? (laughs) (laughs) Run, I must talk about this. That's a great person. That's a great question because the person in question was actually sitting right there. It's called Hammer. <laughs> so Hammer. you you tell so you're telling me you you suspended Mrs. Hammerschmidt from coming to matches. Is that what happened? Yes, she showed up. <laughs> we were playing this game. It was a really nice game. I thought we were doing pretty well, and um, you know, team was running. Uh, I think I can't remember what the score was, what was happening, but anyway, at halftime. Uh, we gather in the middle of the pitch. Guys have gone off to either side to coaches talk to them. And I'm standing with my guys and uh, in comes Mrs. Hammer. And <laughs> and she whispers something to the guy. Right? So and then she runs back off. She's really, really excited about the news she was telling him. I don't know if I can say this on Air Hammer or whether... Okay, I'm not going to get in trouble with her or anything. Nah. Okay, good. So, uh, Hammer like goes off into a daze. Like, what's <laughs> going on? We go back into second half, and this guy's game is his head is not in the game. So I keep wondering what that, what on earth is going on here. So I pull him off and I ask him, Hammer, what's up? And he says, my wife's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> that's because that's the perfect time. It's the perfect. I mean, if you're going to tell anybody. <laughs> Halftime during the game, and I'm sure the first half he played great. The first half was probably the greatest half of rugby he ever played. Yeah. So he says, my wife's pregnant. So I think, what, what, what on earth is this? I mean, you can't do this at halftime. Why don't you wait until after the game or whatever? But anyway, oh, I saw the kid the other day. <laughs> what, six foot four or something like that, tall beanpole. I saw him in class once, and I thought, ha, huh, that guy looks like Hammer. When I talked to Hammer, he said, yeah, that was him. <laughs> that's so funny yeah, that's that, a great... was, that was my first meeting with Miss Mrs. Hammer yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope she doesn't take me out on this or anything because I asked you for permission to remember that Yeah. well Ronald, yeah. Uh, 25 years of marriage she's developed very thick skin she's put up with my nonsense and, and BS for a long time you're, you're, you're pretty safe and, uh, and that's a shout out to my younger son Jackson we talk a lot about Preston but that was my, my man J-Man um, who's who's an awesome kid, and and Ronald shared that story with me recently, and uh, I, I'd never heard him tell it before, and uh, I, it, it brought me to tears because it brought back some great memories. Yeah, well, well, after that, you can't come with your girlfriend or wife. You know, half time, <laughs> stay on the side of the pitch. Nobody else is allowed on the pitch. We don't want any funny news coming out. Oh my God, that that's yeah. great. You know, that's a and I mean that's a huge challenge because now you know if 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 you know maybe the next match Rob got taken out. You know, maybe Mr. Townsend <laughs> comes on. The the field for attribution, you know. And by the way, I told her the story, Ronald. After after you shared it with me, right? And, and she goes, "I was so mad at you that you didn't want to talk to me at halftime. I was so mad, and, and I, you know, I was sitting there telling Preston he's going to have a baby brother, and you didn't want to talk to me because you were busy on the rugby field." Oh my god! That's I got the crazy. business all over again. It was horrible. Oh, that's wow. hysterical. Oh my God! So, so Ronald. Speaking of challenges, as we mentioned in your CV, you had managed both the 15s and the sevens uh, Kenyan national team. So, you know, when you when you came to the U.S., run past your kick. What was the biggest adjustment you made when you started coaching uh, the Chicago Blaze? Like, you know, you you had obviously you went from 
forming and molding a national uh, team set up in 15s and 7s to come coach a guy like Rob Hammerschmidt. So what <laughs> Rob has to kick. What, what was your biggest adjustment? Run. I'll run with that one too. The biggest adjustment was actually adjusting my thinking because uh, rugby at that time was a lot more social um, in, in, at the Chicago Blaze. So guys would come out and they'd practice when they, you know, twice a week, but they didn't put in that intensity. They didn't think that much about it. And yeah, we're out to have a good time Saturday after the game. Let's have a couple of beers and then we move on. And then that's it till the next practice session. But the environment I had come from, we were almost semi-professional where everybody was so focused on the game and we were all thinking about strategy. We're all thinking about technique. We're thinking about skill, um, opposition and all that stuff. So I came with that mindset and I kept thinking, you know, these guys could be better than, uh, than, than they are right now. Um, and it was a bit of an adjustment. I think I coached there to be honest, uh, four years, three years, four years. And the first year we lost all our games apart from the last one. It's a wonder that actually was, that was retained to coach the second year around because most coaches would be done at the end of the first year. They say, look, obviously you're no good. So, (laughs) (laughs) so get out and go. But then I'm also proud to say that over the next three years, I think we lost probably about two or three games and we were beating people regularly by, by 40 points. So it was a matter of simply adjusting our thinking to to match at some point to take them higher from where they were and for myself to come down to their level of thinking and then working together to you know take on whoever else we came up with we we took on you know it's funny ronald i i distinctly recall uh when you first came on board it was really the first time and, and keep in mind for most fans out there you know i was very similar to a lot of uh rugby playing uh guys you know at club teams where I'd come into it late in life, right? I'd not grown up playing rugby and understanding and learning strategy and learning defensive structures and things like that. So when Ronald came in, coming from the environment he had come from into a D2 men's club, and this isn't disrespectful to any of the other coaches, but we started having chalk talks. We started putting up, diagramming the field, showing what we wanted to do, what our structures, offensive and defensive, were going to look like. And for me, and I can imagine some of my um, some of my teammates, it was some, It was new and it was different. I think that's why we struggled that first year because there was some adaptation that we had to do in those first, you know, that first season. And we came around once we understood where Ronald wanted to take us. But the the actually other important thing about that was, and we'll talk about this later as we go on, hopefully, is uh, the 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 environment I came from. Everybody sort of knew what was going on. So you learn to take things for granted. You know, they know how to kick when you talk about a pass. When you talk about a spiral pass or a torpedo kick, people know what that is. And then you come into this environment where uh, the foundational skills were not so good. But then you have to coach all over again and ask yourself, so what really do you, what really goes into a pass? What really goes into a kick? When you say take somebody out, it doesn't mean you kill him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some people would say when you say take that guy out, they think, OK, I'll take him out. And boom, they take. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, take him out of the way and open the space for somebody else to come in. <laughs> a lot of stuff that we went through. But I had a, I had a great time. I loved coaching the Blaze. And then they grew a little more. I mean, a little intense, quite intense. So everybody now was thinking about the game all the time. You know, and I thought, hey, you were supposed to be a relaxed club. So how come now? <laughs> how come we're getting this level of intensity? But they're a great bunch of guys. I still keep in touch with a number of them. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. uh, and it, it was a pleasure having you as a coach for sure, Ronald. I want to uh, move forward in the conversation a little bit. You came from um, the Kenyan Rugby Union. Uh, so you obviously, as a CEO, uh, as um, a, the manager of the, the, the union, you clearly understand relationships with world rugby. You understand what it's like to compete with the tier one uh, teams uh, and what, what kind of daunting task that can be. So uh, let me preface the question a little bit. Uh, just recently, Amazon, and you and I have talked a little bit about this, released a documentary by Dan Leo called o Oceans Apart. Scott actually turned me on to it, so thank you, big guy. Um, throughout the film, uh, Dan addresses the problems that plague Pacific rugby nations like Samoa. One of these is the lack of revenue sharing with Tier 1 nations. So as a director of rugby, as a CEO, um, run, pass, or kick, does the RFU and world rugby exacerbate the inequities that exist in, in you know, the rugby structure, world rugby structure? Um, I'll take a stab at it. I'll run with it. I'll take a stab at that, um, at the risk of uh, answering both and not answering both questions at the same time. <laughs> you have to look at it from two different, two different mindsets. Rugby changed. Rugby changed in 1995. Because prior, before 1995, we were uh, fully almost quote-unquote amateur. And I say amateur in the sense that people weren't paid to play. A lot of people were paid, but it was under the table. Then 1995, we came. After the World Cup in South Africa, then rugby turned professional. And now athletes were actually paid to play. Now, once you become a professional, you become a product. And people put money into a product that attracts um, 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 eyeballs, I guess, to the screen. You know, people want to come and watch. So you want to be as good as you as you possibly can. Um, the model, I think, that World Rugby took was sort of based on what FA, the professional leagues, took on. Whether it was NFL or NBA or the FA Cup, the the Premiership in in the UK, they tried to take that model and and think it was you can't just adapt it and say we'll take it out of here and put it into here. You know, and uh, a round round. I was going to say round square. You don't have a round square. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 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 you know what I mean, anyway. Square peg in a round, round hole. hole. Yeah. There you go. That's what I was just talking about. <laughs> you can't do that. You have to adapt to that for that to fit. So um, then you have you you get into you 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 have to start adapting to the new situation you find yourself in. Um, people want to come and play, so now you start selling the players as products, right? Now, if you go to the Pacific Islands, Pacific Islands are some of the best rugby players in the world, but because of their rugby economy, it's not that big. It's not that good. You go to a, an island like Tonga, maybe Tonga has got, what, 800,000 people in total, but they have some of the biggest rugby players. But if you look at their national G G GDP, and they, they can't afford to run a professional rugby team. In fact, when the National Sevens, the World Seven Series started, because Fiji was such a, is such a powerful, um, force in world rugby they took one one event there but they couldn't hold the second one there because it just costs too much you don't you're not able to support it so world economies um i mean country economies that host rugby matches actually have to have a lot of money to be able to manage that new zealand went to play in samoa once and left samoa with a debt of a million dollars yet it would have been nice to go and play there but just to go and play um the sort of things samoa had to do is, is not what they can do naturally because the economy doesn't support it. 
you have to have a, a much more vibrant economy to be able to run a vibrant professional sports team, not just rugby alone. Now, the challenge with world rugby is um, you have the home unions, the guys, England, Ireland, Scotland, and uh, Britain. Wales. Wales, yeah. Right? Who, well, supposedly spread rugby across the globe. And as far as they're concerned, rugby belongs to them. But rugby is changing now, and it's spreading all over the place through a variety of of, of of tournaments they're having, like the Women's Rugby, the World 7 Series and stuff. So it's a little more open to a lot more people. Now, I don't know if I'm answering your question or I'm just going <laughs> off. It's, it's, I'm enjoying the conversation. I'm enjoying <laughs> I mean, I, I think and, and I, I think that the way World Rugby is, is run, uh, you know, exacerbates that inequity. And I think Dan Leo shows that as far as revenue streams. And saying that only the you know whoever takes the whole match takes the revenue, knowing that you know you're never going to have a big tier one team go you know to a one of those Pacific islands to play because they're not going to get the draw. And it's, again, it's going to cost. Now I'm sure New Zealand it costs them money. No, they will get the draw. They won't get the money. C- correct. They will get the draw because the, the crowd will be packed. Witness the, when Australia came here or when New Zealand came to to, the, to to Chicago to play, people flew in from all over the place. But mm-hmm. the the city and the country and the RFU, the economy could actually sustain it, mm-hmm. right? So they probably got some money back and they got sponsors to sponsor the thing and everything. But when you go to a smaller country, then yes, you will have people because they're people who are rugby mad and these are guys we watch on television. They've come in to play. Mm-hmm. But they may not be able to pay the what three four hundred dollars a ticket to get in to yeah. sit to sit in the stands. See the 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 economy just can't can't sustain it. Yep. Somehow. And, now and the, the tricky bit, I think, what you're asking is: so when they go, can these guys go and pay them to you know, or split mm-hmm. the money, whatever monies they will raise? Yeah. Because one of the one of the the things I would imagine is. I would come and tell you, I'm coming to play at the Chicago Blaze. I say, Chicago Blaze, can you guarantee me at least 30% of the gate? Can you guarantee me you're going to get uh, 200, you know, 20,000 people into the gate and each one of them is going to pay so much? Can you guarantee you're going to have TV rights? Can you guarantee you're going to have all that stuff? Because people will wake up at night to watch and play. Mm-hmm. And, There's and- guarantees you need to have. And you can kind of equate it back to the U.S. and and in college football. And obviously, I grew up with football. Um, you know, a lot of these big Division One schools in football, they pay the first couple games. They'll pay a team to come in, you know, a couple million dollars to play and get their butt kicked. But you know what? That team now has that money to use on facilities or on, you know, whatever they need, whatever they can work it on. And, and you can see that model works because now you have teams like uh, in this year in college football, Coastal Carolina came up and was ranked in the top 20. And they had been one of those teams perennially that plays in Alabama or Florida or LSU for several years and gets these, you know, million dollars. Now all of a sudden their facilities are top tier because they kind of went through that gauntlet. Um, bef- uh, we actually have a question. Just to hang on. When I was at uh, the KRU, we actually went over to play in uh, our 15 aside team went to play in Brazil. But in order for us to travel to Brazil to play, which is across two continents almost, we had to get a stipend from uh, World Rugby who said that we're going to pay you, we're going to give you 50% of your cost. How much is it going to cost you? Let's take the figure. Let's let me just say, let's just out just for, 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 for grins. Let me say $20,000. Right. So they say, okay, fine. We're going to give you $10,000. You raise the rest so that you can go and play and come back. Right. So they gave us the 10,000. Now we have to run around and look for the 10,000 to enable us to fly all the way to Brazil 
and come all the way back. Now, part of the problem is the $10,000 then cheats you that you're able to raise the next 10000 yeah. Then you find raising the next 10000 is a lot more difficult. Yeah, then you but, now you have, but now you have an obligation to World Rugby to go and play because we've given you the money. Yeah. So you probably go into debt. Yep. Right, yes, fly definitely. over to Brazil, come back and play and stuff. It's 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 a chicken and egg because you really want to raise your profile and raise your ranking and you know play a much higher tier mm-hmm. game, but you're not able to afford it at the way it's going right now. No, that's I. You know what? I completely believe that, and I see how World Rugby can kind of maybe entice some of these unions who are looking to do that and and try and get into those top tiers and trying to hit that competition by by throwing that egg at you and say, hey, we're going to do that 50%. And I can completely see how you want to take it, you make the obligation. And then, like you said, you're just kind of sitting there going. But I don't think, do I, don't, I don't think, I wouldn't say enticing. I think enticing is a different, a difficult world because they want to spread the game. And so from their perspective, we're helping you out. I'm going to give you 50% of your costs. Now you raise the rest, right? And I, then because you really want to play, you say, yeah. I'm going to try my best to, to raise that cash. I know, but I think it, we have seen and uh, historically now, like, and you and you said it just before you go into debt trying to get that other fifty percent. So, yes, you know, World Rugby's okay. I guess enticing is the wrong word. Is seems like they're trying to help out, but obviously that hasn't been the best option because now you're you're running into debt to go play that match. So yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't quite work. Um, the, well, from a player's perspective, they love it from the country's perspective. They love it. And they were playing at this level, but from an administration perspective and finance in the background, you're just thinking, oh no, we can't do this, but Hey, are you going to stand up and tell people we're not going to go to Brazil because we can't afford it. And somebody's going to say, but you were given half the cost. So what's the problem? You can raise the rest. And then you run into all sorts of issues. You have to look for sponsors stuff. Yep. No, it's, it's definitely, it's. I can only imagine trying to one. I know you you were talking to us before we went on air, and you were saying how you you know you kind of you helped create the union, and you were kind of like a one man army when you first got there. And then when you got back, they, you know it had spread and, and grown a little bit. But I can only imagine being the one guy doing everything, you know, for for a, a, an entire country's union. I, it's giving me anxiety talking about it. So I can only imagine <laughs> what what you went through. Um, real quick, our next question is actually from our buddy Ty. Uh, who couldn't be with us. He just sent it in on Facebook. He said, countries like Madagascar regularly get 20,000 people in attendance at their rugby games. Should world rugby be looking in uh, more in Africa to grow the rugby market? It is. A, it is. A, I mean, Madagascar is a fun place to play because that's their national sport. So everybody will show up to play. And uh, the big question is, when you talk about going to uh, Africa is a growing market, but at the same time, it's the same problem of do you actually have the money and do you have the interest for people to go and play? I know that there have been national games played in various countries and there's been, there's been no gate fee, but nobody shows up. So the guys who are playing, you're playing a national game, right? Country versus country. I don't want to name them, but there's nobody in the stadium. The gates are wide open. Just walk in when you feel like, sit down and watch. It doesn't happen. So you have to look at the different rugby economies around the world and say, okay, here it can work and there it may not work. Going into play, you're obviously going into competition. Then you want to go and play at a higher level. The higher you go, the more it costs. I mean, Hammer, if you remember, when we were playing around our our, our little village there in Le Mans, it's easy to drive down, down Chicago and somewhere else, go play uh, Lincoln Park, go play in Schomburg, go play, you know, all those little teams. Mm-hmm. But the moment you tell guys, now we're going to go to... Kentucky 
to play somewhere yeah. there. Then everybody starts saying, uh-oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it because of I have to work. I can't get time off or this, that, and the other. I can't. I just can't afford it. And maybe you're just asking a guy for another couple of hundred bucks. Or my wife's right. pregnant. Or my wife's pregnant. I can't go. See? <laughs> All those issues come into play. Then you're, if you're playing a country that's professional, it's different because they're always there. That's what they get up in the morning to do. But for most of the countries in Africa, you're fully amateur. So people play when they have the time, which mm-hmm. is basically after work or over weekends. So going to play international in an international game, you've got to take time off work and stuff. And how many days is your employer going to give you off to say you're going on a jaunt in the sun? <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Um, I think I think uh, Rob's up next uh, with, with the next question here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward. With all that being said, and and um, we recently saw that Moana Pacifica and the and New Zealand based uh, um, and the New Zealand Maoris played one another just in November. Um, so is the Moana Pacifica run passer kick? Is Moana Pacifica and a New Zealand based Pacifica Super Rugby team a solution to providing opportunities for? Pacific Island players to get paid more money and, and kind of stay in the Pacific Islands? Oh, those are really... You get your run pass or kick on this one. Yeah. Um, I'll Let me kick it to Scott. Let's hear what he has to say. <laughs> well, I, I kind of get... Well, I, I think it's a good idea to have a team, but my fear is... And, and I... It's a, it's a fear on the developmental side is you're going to have a lot of maybe got top tier guys who want to go going to come back and play for that team that are in the prem or they're in, you know, pro 14 or something like that. And then, so you're still stifling some of those players who might not be, might not be able to get a contract in Europe. So I'm wondering if it's, if it's going to kind of snuff out its own development, um, you know, to, if those players come back, but obviously I, any, I think any team that's going to try and support this Pacific Island community, especially trying to, get them one obviously playing under in, in, in televised games in, in professional contracts is always going to help them um, because they, they, again, most of their opportunities have been outside of, you know, that area. But again, I don't, I don't know if some of those top players are going to come back and want to play, you know what I mean? Like I, I can see where it becomes, Oh, you know, um, a player on, let's say Saracens wants to come back and, and take that spot. And then you, you had a young kid who maybe isn't, you know, isn't get doesn't have enough film or doesn't have enough experience to go and play in the prem, and, and you're kind of losing that that touch of that market. So, it's I think you're going to have a good and bad team. I think you're going to definitely have to manage which players you want to select to be on that team. You know, I think it comes down to player management. I, I you know my my only concern I think with with like a a because they've talked about an Auckland based Pacifica team in the Super League, you know, playing in in the New Zealand and in Australia League. My only concern with that is that it's not going to bring revenue into any of those Pacific islands, right? I mean, a lot of that revenue, even with the gate, is going to be focused on New Zealand if it's based upon New Zealand. So at what point does it become successful enough in which you can move a team uh, to Napier or move it to one of the other uh, island um, you know, countries and, and, or maybe even rotate so that kind of spreads a little bit of that, uh, the wealth to the, to the economies? I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer that from a development perspective. Um, the revenue is a good thing. Having the team is a good thing. But from a development perspective, how does it help the players in their native countries 
to actually grow. There's got to be a pathway for them to get there. You can't have, you have to have a pathway where those guys grow and they know that's their target. We want to get to this Maori Pacifica team so that I'm not going to the UK, but I'm coming to play for these guys. And then I can use that as my springboard to get into other teams wherever I'm going. If you don't have that structure, it doesn't matter what you say, because right now what we have is we're looking at the icing on the cake right on the top. And this is my opinion. You're looking at the icing at the top and it looks very nice. You know, let's have that. But then when those guys move on, then what happens? You're going to have to pick somebody else. But where is he going to come from? You've got to have a a, a, a train coming through, you know, um, of, of little new players. Like Scott was saying, that guy who doesn't want to come back, who's going to replace him? Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. Because right now the 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 it looks like the journey is play for your native country, then go to Europe or go to New Zealand or go to Australia and then come back and play. Mm-hmm. You see, whereas it should be the other way, where you come out, play for this team, and then move off to somewhere else, and yeah, then that, you have stronger roots. And people mm-hmm. say that's the guy I want to be like. Yeah, that that Moana specific he, he team up, to springboard you. Yeah, he grew up yeah. right next to me. I know who he is. Mm-hmm. Not that he took off and then he came back, and I see him only when it's off season. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, you know, and I think again, it's tough, and and only having one team like that, and in, in you know, and make it New Zealand based, uh, as Rob was talking about, I think administratively is a challenge, and again, the revenue is not going back to the island community. So maybe it's one of those things where you have to get enough investors to have two or three of these teams, and that way you you have that large amount represented there and and you can then say oh there's three teams on there's a team on each of these islands so it does make sense for us to go and play you know a match a match and a match here and you can kind of fit it in and and mlr is doing that with some of their northeastern teams where they're saying okay go play you know four or five of your away matches you know in february march that are going to be in the south or the west coast so that way the crowds are better because you're getting you have better weather you know so i think if if you can get enough investors to get a couple teams to do that then you're setting yourself up to put those teams where you need them to be and they can get the revenue. So actually my, my next, the next question is actually MLR focused, uh, Ron. So this week on the MLR fan zone, a fan had questioned why Carlin Isles has not been picked up by an MLR team. Um, you guys can hear what I have to say about it uh, in next week's episode of the, the red, but we also know that um, Blitzbach legend CSL Africa is going to be playing for San Diego Legion this year. So run pass or kick. What can help a sevens player, like these guys, be successful crossing over into a 15th code? Uh, Ron, I'd say he needs to understand the game. Sevens and 15s are two totally separate games. You're both playing rugby, but the sort of things you're expected to do on the field are totally different. Now, if you're going to get Colin Isles, Carlin Isles, um, in sevens, you know, we have you can have six players who clear space for him and then give him the ball and tell him, run. That's all you have to do. Just run straight and mm-hmm. run past people and score. Um, if you're playing at number 14 or number 15, I'm saying that purely because of his size. I don't know what his other skill set is. Um, you have to run the... Uh, you have to run a defense. You have to run, you know, all sorts of things that, that happen on the rugby pitch. If you don't understand those intricacies of the sport, then it'll be a bit difficult for you to get onto the park and play because... You know, here you're not that there are 14 other guys on the field, not just, not just, well, not there. Tw- <laughs> Did we lose him? I'm not sure. I, th- I think we might have lost him. Oh, see if we can get him back here. 
<laughs> well, here's oh, here you go. Ron's back. Uh, yeah. yeah, you were saying. Yeah, you were saying. There's, you know, you you have the other players and you don't have the space. And I think the simple answer, though, Ron, is we're going into the Olympic year. Why would he try yeah. and Why would he try and, and go for an MLR contract when he's going to be prepping for his Olympic year? Um, so, well, you've also got to look beyond the Olympics. What happens after that? Mm-hmm. What if the Olympics? What if the Olympics? The rumor is it might it might be canceled again this year, and if it's postponed this year, it's going to be canceled. So. But anyway, I agree with you. I'd I'd take the Olympics first and say let's talk about that later. Because that yeah. medal yeah. medal, you know, it, it helps you in your negotiations. Exactly. So I, I mean I think that's I mean that's that's my short answer quick one, um, just because we lost Ronald. But I do think you're right. I think it, you know, he could, I think he could develop into a great fifteens player. And I think it, you know, coach it, coaches need to take the time to develop these sevens players to play fifteens in the professional setting. And let me let me let me just good. let me let me throw that right into that because in Mike Friday, he's got a fantastic coach. Mike Friday is one of the best coaches I've ever seen. Mike Friday coached Kenya before he came to the United States. Right? Mike Friday is a national sevens coach. He coached Kenya before he came to the United States. And then we foolishly, I wasn't there at the time, so I take no responsibility for that. <laughs> <laughs> we foolishly kicked him out. Right? And then he came to the States and he got all the space that he needed. And look at the team that he's molded. So a team that was regularly playing in the player in the bowl competitions in the seventh yeah. is now actually winning the World Series and is a, a major force. On uh, it really hates me to say I really hate it that I have to say this, but it's a it's a, a major force on the um, on the um, international platform. I remember at, when I was at KRU and and whatever we had our international sevens tournament, and Mike Friday would show up, and all the people would come and ask me, "Are we going to ask Mike Friday to come back?" And I, I I said no. I I think for Kenya to get off to where it's supposed to go, where it can go, we've actually got to kill his ghost because his ghost. <laughs> Haunts us everywhere we go, you know. Mike Friday's around. Mike Friday's around. <laughs> Come on, but he's a great coach. He's no, yeah, no, but I understand. Coach. No, but I do understand that you got to like kind of kill the narrative and say this yeah. is, it's a new team. It's it's a new you know way, and we're gonna you know move on. Yeah, and here you are, what seven eight years later, and you're still talking about him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it. I mean, he had a huge influence, huge impact on the way rugby is played in Kenya today. He's a real fantastic guy. And if you're listening, Mike, that's my shout out to you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that that leads to actually very well, Ronald. Into the next question, Kenya has produced some incredible athletes. I'm not talking about generally. I mean, obviously, well known for long distance runners, middle distance runners, um, in the track events. Um, can they produce a sevens team that can be consistently a top team in the World Seven Series. So as you talk about the United States elevating its game, Kenya Kenya elevated its game to that point. Um, so run, pass, or kick. And then as a follow-up, um, why haven't they been as successful at the 15s game as they have been at the Sevens game? So kind of a two-part question there. Okay, yes, I'll run with that one. Yes, they can produce uh, a team that can play consistently. And the first thing we have to do is to kill Mike Friday's ghost. <laughs> Right. I teed it up for you. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing we have to do is exercise that completely because he, I mean, he brought in a standard, but we've also got to learn to believe that we can actually move on from there and not keep going back to where he was. If you think about between Mike Friday and today, there have been about maybe a four or five different coaches who have come in. So nobody has really, we're, we're sort of in a situation where we have to keep producing results and you want results quickly. 
Mm. right? And if you don't get the results quickly, you give the guy a couple of seasons or a season and a half and tell him, get out of here, you're not helping us very much, let's pick the next guy. But look at what Mike Friday did when he came to the United States. He came in 2014. This is 2020. But it's taken him, what, six years to build the powerhouse that he has right now, and now it's on its way up. And if the Olympics were not cancelled last year, uh, the U.S. was in the running for a gold medal in the in the in the Olympics. I mean, they now challenge Fiji regularly, the the South Africa. They challenge um, uh, New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah, all the top sevens teams. They challenge them without fear. Before that, it was like, ah, oh, we're playing the U.S. Not a problem. We'll beat them and then we'll move on. Now you don't do that. That's what Kenya needs to do. Um, and then to go to your second question, why hasn't that translated to the 15s? Well. In a way, it boils down to, first of all, how we manage our sport. And then secondly, our development track isn't so good, right? Our development structure isn't so good. It's starting, it's creaking, trying to get in place. And uh, one of the challenges we face is you you get a partner, you get a sponsor who, who wants instant results. So you keep trying to give him what he wants as opposed to focusing on building your structure so that you're consistently producing the same, you know, top class players, but I can give you your your day in the sun today, but then tomorrow is going to be a totally different thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, it, yeah, I really appreciate so those insights, especially into a union that maybe some of our fans aren't as familiar with and that they should be on the lookout for, because certainly Kenya has been able to produce, um, you know, those those results, you know, in, in various tournaments. Uh, but as you say, they need to build the consistency a little bit more. Um, yeah. We're going we're gonna to lighten it up a little bit. Now it's time for our quick tap. And we're just going to rapid fire give you some choices here. Um, so uh, first one up, a better tournament. Speaking of sevens, a better tournament, Hong Kong sevens or Cape Town sevens? Hong Kong. Okay. I, I, I thought you'd say that. Um, all right. More iconic, the English rose or the silver fern? Silver fern. Okay, you play this hard and fast, just like you coach, Ronald. Um, more likely to win a three-match series right now, today, if it could be played, Springboks or All Blacks? I'd say i pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we haven't, we haven't seen South Africa. So I mean, like... You know, we, we haven't seen him play in a while, so I can that's see that. Why, that's why I yeah. pass on that one, because I know teams come back from the dead to play the All Blacks. So yeah. just because you haven't seen them doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because Faf de Klerk commented, I think, this week on that. He said, yeah, we'll just get back together. We'll have a couple practices. And I think we've got enough of a, a team chemistry to gel and come together pretty quickly. So that's not out of the out of the bag for them. Better scrum half, speaking of Faf, Faf de Klerk or Antoine Dupont? Hmm. I'd say Faf de Klerk. Okay, Ty would give you a big hug right now if you were here. Um, <laughs> all right. The GOAT, the greatest of all time, Richie McCarr or Dan Carter? I pass. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one. It's, it's, they play two different positions. Yeah. Um, they had different skill sets, obviously, and they, they certainly uh, they were appreciated and loved uh, and revered for very different reasons, right? Okay, last one here. Which did you enjoy more? Coaching men's club rugby or women's club rugby? Women's club rugby. And, and you, can you give us a little context as to what well, you enjoyed okay. about that? Because I, I, I have to get the dagger out of my practice. <laughs> when I left the Blaze, I, I uh, took a couple of uh, 
maybe a year or so off. Then I decided to get back into the game and I went and coached the women's rugby team, uh, Chicago Sirens Women's Rugby Club. And that was the greatest coaching experience I've ever had. Because uh, when you're coaching men, men seem to know everything. They have all the answers. <laughs> so when you're coaching them, they you, when you're talking to them, they're already shaking their heads. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even if they don't quite understand. And the women actually listen to what you're saying. Think about what you're doing. When you explain something, once they understand it, then they'll run with it forever. They actually taught me to think about the game differently from the way I knew it. Right. So and and once we got our act together, then we started beating everybody else that we used to play against. And then it moved slowly once again from being a social team to a lot more competitive team. When we first started, like I said at the beginning, we started with six players and but we'd struggled to play every weekend. And it was a problem. Um you know, everybody got to play. When we were only fifteen people, there was no chance of anything. The moment we got player number 16, life changed. It became different because now we had to start making selection. Put A or B, A or B, and then it grew that way. Um, they were a real fun side. I took them to Kenya. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we went and played in the Safari Sevens. That was a fantastic trip. See, I think there's a, the, the, subtle, the subtle meaning to that. Rob, you're dumb. That's pretty much <laughs> <laughs> He didn't want to say it, but that's what he said. <laughs> That's how I took it. Is is coaching Rob is hard because he's dumb. Um, I, I think I think my wife must have gotten back into a couple of training sessions because uh, Ron has clearly been you know they've been conversing. <laughs> he's digging it in. So uh, so we're back to the RPK and uh, Ron. I have a question. You know, yeah, players have gotten bigger. They've gotten stronger. They've gotten faster. They've gotten more professional in the past twenty five years. As a result, defensive structures have gotten better and more difficult to break down. Run, pass, or kick. Does world rugby need to change any laws to create a more exciting game of rugby? And if you think so, do you have like one or two recommendations you would make? Uh, run. The question would be, what is more exciting? You need to define that. Well, that's that that's that's the tough part because me, you know, if 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 England plays South Africa and the final is, is six to three, I feel like we had an exciting match as long as there wasn't a lot of you know. Uh, drop passes, you know, but I mean, some people might say, um, you know, some, some people might say scoring, I guess that's, that's the whole point of, of how league uh, rugby league in, in, in the Southern hemisphere, right. Is creating their rules is to create more scoring. So let's go, let's use the parameter of scoring is exciting. Um, now, if you want to make rugby exciting, then it takes it, you go on another track again. Are you playing sevens or are you playing 15? Sevens for the flashy part, for the fun and the running and the scoring and all that. And it's short, sharp, and it's a big festival that goes on. Or are you going to be a rugby purist and say, let's play proper 15s rugby and see how it goes and see people grind it out? Now, depending on the way the laws are set, some depending on if you're playing the Northern Hemisphere or Southern Hemisphere, there are different interpretations that are given. So in the Southern Hemisphere, when you're playing in the Super Rugby and all that, they give a lot of license to running the ball and they allow you to play the advantage as many times as possible. And it could be because of the weather at that point in time. If you go to the Northern Hemisphere where they're playing in the winter and it's muddy and stuff and everything, so your game is a little more a lot more tactical in a sense. I'm not saying the Southern Hemisphere is not as tactical, but it's a lot more tactical where you're now thinking we actually need to gain some ground before we can move forward because every day it's raining. The pitch is wet. It's muddy. So what do you do? And then your your, your officiating of the sport now is you're focused a lot more on I don't want anyone to drown in the pools of water on the on the stuff. Hmm. Let's, not, let's not think about the, the, the international 
uh, level of playing because there the fields are fantastic and everything. But if you go down to the clubs where they play on those little pitches and everything, it may not be as exciting as well because they're... But anyway, people like rolling around in the mud. We did a lot of that at the Blaze. And- <laughs> Those are always my favorite matches. I mean, <laughs> if I came up looking just, you know, completely muddy, I, I had I always had a smile on my face. I mean, I think... I think right. The other thing they could do is, uh, well, I don't know whether I should say this now. You actually need to promote a lot more women's rugby than it's happening right now. It's growing really, really quickly. And it's, it's such a... It's got so much potential. Right, so much potential, and they're getting faster and they're getting better in their skills. So it's like women's soccer in, in the United States. I, t- I tell you what, I was uh, when Preston was a senior. I took we took him down to uh, um, uh, Nashbash, uh, our team down in Nashbash, uh, and they actually had life play. Well, I, they might have played Davenport um, women's, mm-hmm. and it was it might have been the most ex- most enjoyable game for me to see mm-hmm. at 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 you know the the amateur level mm-hmm. um it, the really strong excellent skills really powerful i mean some of the light players just devastating runners i i thoroughly enjoyed it i have to agree with you and i think as we get attract more women to the sport we're going to get a better brand of rugby out of the women's game and it'll be it'll be so enjoyable for fans to watch for sure and, and here's another thing they're not fragile that's the thing that people no, yeah. think that women are fragile and i thought that when i started coaching the chicago sirens until one day i had held a tackle bag for them and there's a girl called mary who ran into me and i thought okay that 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 <laughs> that's not that's not light well, right? I think, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're as hard as everybody else but we tend to think that they're they're not fragile they're just as hard as everyone um, physiologically, you have to adapt to a number of things, but it's it's a fantastic game to watch. And I think you're starting to see that build up because you, we have two other Rugby Canada women who just went over uh, to start playing in, in the Premiership on on the women's side. So I mean, you're starting to see them um, move across the professional landscape, and specifically from North America to go to, across the pond. When you know two or three years ago, that really wasn't the case. So I think you're starting to see that build up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next question, we're going to get a little bit back to international uh, rugby at the, and the men's side of things. Um, I think the big news that is starting to trickle out is there's some questions about whether or not um, the Lions are going to be able to play the scheduled matches in South Africa this summer in 2021. Um, it has been called into question as a result of, obviously, uh, COVID, particularly affecting South Africa. Recently, Sky Sports published an article that cited three possible options. So I'll give you the three options. You don't need to go back and read the article. Um, run, pass, or kick, which option do you think is the best option of three? So here are the options. Pick the best one, run, pass, or kick. Should they postpone the Lions tour to South Africa until 2022? Um, should they play uh, without fans in South Africa? Or um, should they play the matches in the UK and have so- uh, South Africa come uh, to the UK? Run, you postpone it till 2022. The Lions is all about the tour. Lions are a touring side. They don't play at home. They play away. So playing the Lions in the UK is not, it's not like playing in New Zealand or South Africa or Australia. Uh, two, if you don't have fans, um, the traveling fans for the Lions are up to 30,000 people. Yeah. Up to 30,000 people. Now you go play in a stadium with nobody. Watch. Look at the NFL today. Look at uh, and at the, the the NBA. They're playing with nobody in the stands. 
right? It, and yeah, they're piping in sounds and everything, but there's there's basically something missing. What are you going to do with all those 30,000 guys? I'm actually on the tour to South Africa for, for thing. I want to go. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to sit at home and watch them playing on the telly because, you know, there's a thing. So what I would do is I'd, I'd postpone it. But then you postpone it, then there are all sorts of contractual issues that come into, into play that you have to think about and stuff. It's it's not an easy question to answer. No. But primarily, you play with people in this. The Lions are about fans in the stands, traveling fans, a traveling team, and the Lions are a touring side. They don't play at home. I I, I have. It- I, we're, me and Rob, Rob, I'm going to ask the last two questions, and we're actually going to skip the last two questions we had written down because we just got two really good fan questions that I want to I want to share. So um, this first one is from Sai, and he says, "Should uh, Rugby Africa be uh, try to attempt a Pan African Continental Club competition like SLAR? Um, you know, it wouldn't need South Africa, but ev- uh, elevating some nations like Kenya, Nigeria, Madagascar to have professional clubs." to represent them. Do you think that would be a good idea to try and get that together as a competition? Ron, actually, that was tried a while ago. It didn't work. They, first of all, tried to create a composite team. We only It was only played once, where they took the best players from different countries, brought them together as a composite side, and went to play a team in South Africa. That didn't work. Then the second thing was what Rugby Africa has done is, as well, it holds uh, annual competitions between the different countries. You have the North playing the North and the South playing the South, and then they come together. Uh, I think there are five countries in a different, in two different pools, five countries each. They play each other one off, and then they come together and play. Um, I don't think it was held last year, but it's been, they play it every other year. And the big challenge they have is actually just travel and finance because it costs a hell of a lot of money to travel up and down the continent um so like kenya we were we were in the same pool as namibia zimbabwe uganda i think and zambia i can't remember the fourth team or the and madagascar as well so you travel around play all those teams that that trip is sponsored by rugby africa rugby africa who get their sponsorship from world rugby and then uh if you win your pool then uh you go and play the guys who are playing up north uh uh nigeria Morocco, Tunisia, can't remember whether it's Mali or somebody, those other countries. Then the winner of that tournament then goes to the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Then the second one goes into a repechage with the losers of the other tournaments, continentally, countrywide. You win that one, four countries, you head into the World Cup as well. So, so I mean, it's, and it's, actually been and it, tried. Yeah, and, it's, so, and essentially you're doing it off Rugby World Cup years anyway. So essentially yeah. you, were, you were kind of already doing it, just not under the guise of quote-unquote a professional. Yes competition so that's great I, I love that question thank you Sai. and then the last question uh we have from our buddy sam upman and i'm gonna ch- i'm gonna change this like so he said could and i i'll change it to should mlr teams look to african countries like kenya zimbabwe and madagascar for great athletes with rugby backgrounds and are, that are just missing the missing the professional support system to come play on these mlr teams Yes, they should. But then at the same time, what does what is MLR looking for? They've got to be very clear about what they want because you can't just show up and say, I'm looking for guys. You'll have 100 people show up. They've got to be very clear. Then you have a scouting process. Let's look for these players, all the professional stuff that people are going to do. I mean, it's a buyer's market, so to speak. It's free enterprise. You're selling your labor. Go, go for it. So, yeah, no, so it sounds to me, Ronald, like you're actually putting your name in the hat to be a scout in Africa for <laughs> Major League Rugby. Uh, I'm your assistant, so uh, let me know when we start. Sorry. 
Yeah. The only, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the only, the downfall is obviously right now not having a, a, um, uh, scouts to be in that area. But secondly, we've already seen people like Drew Mitchell have trouble saying to get, to get a visa saying I'm a professional rugby player. So I can just imagine how, uh, um, you know, a Kenyan rugby player might have a hard time quote unquote proving that too, to get the visa. So I think actually the biggest obstacle might be trying to get the visa after they identify the person. But I mean, you know, anywhere you can find a, a quality rugby player, I think MLR team should be looking there. Um, there are because there are a lot of, well, some of those countries that were mentioned, we've got people who've gone to play in France, they've gone to play in England, they've gone to play in New Zealand. People always come up, they look at those matches that I was talking about and they'll pick a guy and they'll say, you, can you come out and try for us? So we've had guys in like people, they pick people out of the seventh circuit and, and they're approached, come and try out. Let's see how, how it works. A number of Kenyan players have gone and played professionally abroad. So MLR, you know, the opportunity is there. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask one more question. That's going to be a quick one. Uh, but I love the question because, um, you know, I wrote it. Uh, currently, <laughs> France is playing extremely well, narrowly losing to England with what many perceive to be a second 15. Rugby World Cup 2023 is in France, just around the corner. Right now, are they the odds-on favor to win the Rugby World Cup or is Scott Ferrara out of his damn mind? I think um, it's a bit too soon to tell. The French blow hot and cold. <laughs> they blow hot and cold. England, I think, is rebuilding in uh, in an interesting manner. Uh, we haven't seen South Africa yet. They're still trying to get their act together because of the pandemic. New Zealand is in the throes of some experiment. Experiment I can't quite understand. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Australia is also struggling to get out of where they are now. So everybody's, those are the five who you normally think could, 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 could go and win the World Cup. So it all depends on how we address, approach this pandemic thing, if you ask me. Because uh, I think the, the Six Nations is supposed to be going on and the French are saying you can't come unless you can offer all sorts of guarantees of security. Mm-hmm. Um, and health and stuff like that. So how we manage this period of time is is really, really critical to how we get to the World Cup in 2023. No, I, I, yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's definitely too early to be like an odds-on favorite. I just felt like France seemed to have their act together when they decided, hey, we're cutting loose some of these older guys. We're bringing up these young kids now to to create. And, and I think they, you know, they'd rather – Last year they were they were taking or 2019 they were taking the losses, knowing that we're bleeding our our young players early to prep for that 2023 World Cup. So I think it seems usually France seems to really don't have a plan, and they seem to have a plan for this one. So uh, that's how I felt that that that's they, today. That's yeah. today. They seem to have yeah. a plan today. Tomorrow they may not. That's true. Well, I got to be honest, this has been uh, really eye-opening for me. I hope it's been eye-opening for the Rugby Rant fans, um, you know, because we talk about, you know, obviously we talk about North American rugby, but, you know, the similarities um, um, of you creating the Kenyan Rugby Union and Rob and I and and Ty speak to guys who created the MLR and who own these teams and, and to see what you have to do to at the start, what you have to do to develop, what you have to do to get a product on the field. I mean, and, and you're talking about it with the club team, like the sirens, you know, starting out with six people. I mean, it all equates, you know, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, Ron. Uh, I had a lot of fun. 
Um, we got a lot of fan interaction actually in the chat, and, and all the Safas are, are going crazy because we're talking about African rugby. So it was great. Uh, our buddy Marquise uh, Goodwin uh, was, was just said he actually is like, "Does Ron have a Facebook? I want to. I want. I have some questions. I want. I want to Facebook him." And I was like, "Unfortunately, Ron does not." Uh, I, I had asked that. You know, we asked that previously because he's so knowledgeable that I kind of want to be, you know, pick his brain a little bit more off. Off, but that's off topic anyway. I'm gushing a little bit. Ron, thank you so much. I appreciate you, it. Uh, this was a great uh, run, pass, or kick, uh, everybody. And please, guys, uh, we have a new rugby rant coming out on Sunday, so check out the new episode, episode 34, coming out on Sunday. I'm the big guy, Scott Ferrara. That's Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And for our buddy Ty, who couldn't be here, thank you so much, and have a great night. Thank you, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.